0: The Thrilla in Manila. Remember that? The third and final boxing match between Muhammad Ali and Joe Frazier. Everybody knows that. It was a brutal fight. Ali would later claim it was the closest to dying in the ring he had ever come. Ali won when Frazier's corner stopped the fight prior to the 15th round. After round 11, Frazier indicated that he could not see some of the punches he was being hit with. He was nearly blind in his left eye since a training accident in 1965 and now his right eye was badly swollen from Ali's barrage of headshots. At this point, Frazier's trainer, Eddie Fuchs, gave him what turned out to be poor advice. He told Frazier to stand more upright when approaching Ali rather than continuing his usual bobbing and weaving style. Ali seized upon this immediately in round 12. With his back to the ropes, he threw punch after punch accurately and did more damage to Frazier's limited eyesight. Eddie's poor advice contributed to Joe Fraser taking a beating and losing that fight. Since our fight, our warfare is against a masterful malevolent spiritual foe and his armies, we need good rock-solid advice on how we should be fighting. No one wants a beat down from the devil. It only makes sense that someone who has gone up against the devil can give us insight and advice, and the particular person I have in mind tonight is the great apostle Paul. Paul mentioned the devil one way or another quite often in his letters. It was a matter of fact for him that we are in this spiritual fight. We take a look at most of Paul's references to the devil should give us good advice when we're in the ring. Tonight, we're going to look at some of the things Satan did and does to believers in general. Next time we're together, Lord willing, we'll look at two assaults that Satan made directly against Paul, one to hinder him, the other to hobble him. Now, there's a general reference to what we ought to expect from Satan in the famous spiritual armor section of Ephesians when Paul says in verse 11 of chapter 6, "...put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil," it says in the New King James. This word wiles can be translated schemes. This puts you on notice that the devil is constantly scheming against you behind the scenes. He has a strategy to rob and kill and destroy you. You might say that's all he thinks about. Although it isn't funny, we sometimes joke with people who aren't enduring any suffering or trials by saying, just wait. Have you ever done that to somebody? If anybody is actually dumb enough to say hey everything seems fine in my life right now I'm not going through any trials. I actually I used to joke with them and I warn them I say hey I don't want to see you for six months because pretty soon it's gonna break out. It isn't really funny though because the devil is scheming against them and he's doing it on many fronts at once and he's patient setting things up sometimes for decades. If you've walked with the Lord uh, for decades, you can look back and see some things that were set in motion 20 years ago that the devil is just now bringing to fruition in terms of a trap or a, a peril in your life. Uh, I mean, you know, obviously tonight when I mentioned the devil, we talked about this, he's not omnipresent. He probably has not much to do with you and I, but he does have his minions. He has these, uh, you know, this army of... Principalities and powers, and the rulers of darkness and high places. And so, when I use the devil, I'm not talking about the devil personally attacking each one of us, but in kind, this is what goes on behind scenes. Uh, And um, so, he's scheming. So, if you're here tonight and you're not going through any difficulties or hard times, you will be. Uh, and, And so, just keep that to yourself and be ready. Remember, though, that this spiritual armor passage is hopeful that you'll be enabled to stand and withstand the schemes of the devil and even gain ground, but only if you're prepared for battle, constantly vigilant as a deployed soldier. Now, down in Ephesians 6.16, Paul describes Satan's attacks as flaming arrows. These would be obvious uh, frontal assaults. They're extinguished by utilizing the shield of faith. In other words, realizing that we can withstand any assault as we continue to walk by faith. Now we looked at Job last time we were together. Talk about an assault by Satan. To us it seems Job was riddled with flaming arrows that penetrated his defenses. In point of fact Job's faith remained intact. He endured by faith. The shield of faith isn't exactly what you thought it was. It's more a shield for the heart. It's not a guarantee Satan won't land any punches or in context arrows. They might hit their mark, but we will quench their flame when we endure by faith. I I, I don't want to be the one to break it to you, but the story of Job tells us that a lot of pretty terrible things can happen to Christians. And the end of Hebrews 11 tells us that same thing. And so you can't act like your shield of faith is going to catch all of the flaming arrows and you're never going to take any hits. You're going to take hits. But your heart is protected as you walk by faith in Jesus Christ. And what is our flesh anyway? And these things that we endure. Uh, Paul said all of this is a light affliction which occurs for a moment and then works for us an eternal weight of glory. Now let's look at a few more specific things Satan does to put you in danger. And so essentially, what we're doing tonight was we're going from scripture to scripture where Paul mentioned the devil and getting a feel for what he thought the devil was up to. In the lives of Christians and especially in the fellowship of believers, Second Corinthians two. If you want to turn there, or just read it on the screen, uh, this section, verses five through eleven, deals with the man who had been disciplined by the congregation at Corinth. He had repented. He wanted to be restored to fellowship. Paul says in Second Corinthians two eight Therefore, I urge you reaffirm your love to him. And then in verse eleven lest Satan should take advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. For lots of reasons, the Corinthians were hesitant to receive this repentant sinner back into full fellowship. In their case, they ought to have forgiven him, forgiving him as Jesus had forgiven them. First, the Corinthians extended too much grace, tolerating sin in their assembly. Then they extended too little forgiveness. And that, without criticizing any of us, I think sometimes describes the struggles we have to, to try to apply uh, the things that we find in God's Word. And, and, and sometimes we're just on the opposite ends of things. Too much grace when a little bit of uh, rebuke would be necessary and not enough forgiveness when there's been genuine repentance. Now, thus Paul said, for we are not ignorant of his, Satan's devices, meaning the devil is constantly seizing upon every situation that presents itself to twist it to his advantage. Oh, you've got this guy living in sin? I'll I'll, I'll get the church to think that they're being gracious by overlooking his sin. Oh, he's repentant? Well, now they'll stonewall him and continue to shun him. Uh, and, And so the devil, he's looking for every opportunity Every advantage that we give him. Uh, he'll take advantage of our every failing, of our every shortfall. We don't need to be perfect, we just need to be correctable in order to do the right thing at the right time as prescribed in the Bible. While we're on this subject, I don't want to get off too much onto this, but uh, we talked about this in the Gospel of Matthew a while back. I, I think sometimes, you know the entire body of christ has the responsibility if somebody is in actual open blatant sin to take it upon themselves to say you are in actual blatant open obvious sin and we just can't have the kind of fellowship that we used to have until you deal with this situation uh over the years one of the things i try to do and you know is say hey is there someone in this person's life that can go to them uh, and, oh, well, yeah, this person is a good friend of theirs. And I'll talk to that person and I'll say, well, I don't really want to rebuke him or her because, I, you know, they're such good friends. And, well, you need to be a really good friend and go tell them what they're doing. And sometimes I think if all of us were on the same page, really on the same page, that a person would at least come to grips with the fact that, hey, this is really, really sin. And, and I am in danger of losing the protection of the body of Christ. And so this happens. I mean, it's a common situation where people overlook sin and then when people repent, they are standoffish because they, they have kind of an idea that there needs to be penance. Oh, maybe you might have repented, but now you have to jump through some hoops before you're back in full fellowship. And, and so the devil's ready to seize uh, that and take advantage of those, those thoughts that we have. Now, a little, little later in 2 Corinthians, Paul mentioned the devil again, Second Corinthians six, fourteen and 15. He says, do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers, for what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness, and what communion has light with darkness, and what accord has Christ with Belial, or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? Belial occurs only here in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, it's a word that describes evil men and behavior in general, but among the Jews, it became a proper name for the devil. And so, Belial is, in fact, another way of referring to Satan. Oxen plowing in the field were yoked in teams of two in order to accomplish their task. You're mostly familiar with that imagery. Now, it's super important we understand the context in which Paul said this. In verse 16, we read, What agreement has the temple of God with idols? So he says, Don't be unequally yoked together. And then he mentions being in the temple. Uh, you being the temple of God and being yoked up with idols. And it seems the immediate context is the practice of some in Corinth to attend the idolatrous feasts and eat the food that had been sacrificed to idols. You could buy the meats later in the marketplace uh, at a reduced rate, and that was good, solid, you know, uh, home ec. But you shouldn't go to the temple, participate in the pagan ritual just because they had a really good cut of steak. And, and that's what some of the more mature believers were doing. And, and it was stumbling uh, those that were weaker in the faith. And Paul said, yeah, don't do that because you're yoking yourself together in that situation with non-believers. Now, other relationships that involve being yoked with a non-believer are inherently dangerous to a believer as well. We could certainly apply this to marriages between believers and non-believers, And this would be enhanced by Paul's teaching in 1 Corinthians 7 where he indicates that marriage should be in the Lord, in other words, with another Christian. What about business partnerships? Well, I could obviously see it applying there too because um, so often um, businesses uh, get into areas of compromise. It's always amazing to me how people can figure out ways to lie and cheat and steal in almost any walk of life, no matter what kind of governing they have over them there's always a, a loophole always a way to take money under the table or something like that and it's just gonna be rough if you're yoked together with unbelievers in business what is odd to me is that on a practical level we only seem to apply this to marriage giving believers involved in idolatrous practices or those in weird business partnerships a free pass and so I'm not saying that that this doesn't apply to marriage I'm just saying that normally when people say you know the first thing people say you know hey are you is is your fiance a Christian no well don't be unequally yoked together with unbelievers that's not really the context of this scripture it's applicable but and and, you know we probably need to apply it just as much or more in business and in other relationships obviously Jesus left us in the world to affect the world doesn't mean that we don't have relationships with non-believers but there's a certain point where you you know, hey, partnership, marriage, um, you know, standing toe to toe, that kind of a thing, um, it's going to affect you. You and I must beware of close relationships of any kind, personal or professional, that would tend to compromise us as believers. So guess what we should expect? We should expect Satan to make that non-believing guy or gal super attractive to us, or that worldly hobbit or, uh, hobby, or hobbit too, hobby or habit, or that business deal. And this happens all the time in the area of dating uh, and, and all of that. I don't know how many times, you know, uh, somebody will say, hey, I found this really great guy or gal. Are they a Christian? No, but they're, they're better than most Christians. They're just, yeah, but are they a Christian? No, but they're so nice, you know, and... And I said, well, yeah, you really, you know, and it, you're going to be unequally yoked together. It's, you know, right now it's okay, but in a few weeks, you know, it's you know, No, no, it's perfect. And so Satan always brings that kind of a situation or the business deal of a lifetime. Uh, who cares that this guy worships Satan? I mean, that's separate from, you know, that'll never come into our business or something like that. And so we just need to be on guard. Obviously, those are obvious things. The devil is a lot more subtle than that. Be careful out there. Once yoked, it chafes at best and cripples you at worst. Still in 2 Corinthians chapters 10 through 13, Paul deals with false teachers who had crept into the church. Twice he makes reference to Satan. First in 2 Corinthians eleven three, 3, he says, but I fear lest somehow as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. What God told Adam and Eve was simple. They were free to eat of any tree except for one. The devil completely reversed this by asking whether God had said that they were not to eat from any tree in the garden. He exaggerated the extent of God's prohibition. He framed it as if God was restricting them rather than preserving their freedom. And so he took what was simple. Eat anything you want except this fig, which we think it was. It's just, you won't like figs anyway, so just, you know, till Fig Newtons, and that's down the road a bit. So just eat anything, you just, you just, the devil says, you aren't, you're not supposed to eat from any trees but one, you know, or the kind of a thing, and he turns it all around. The point for us is that the devil loves to mess around with what God has said to put a deceptive spin on it. And um, this is what false teachers love to do is is get you you know thinking about something you've never heard before that takes like it it drives me crazy sometimes people want me to read a blog or they want to read an article what are you trying to say just tell me in the first sentence what your conclusion is and then I'll decide if I want to follow how you got there but by the time you get to the end you're it's like it's like people like I say all the time people go to college to get stupid you know and, and and it's just crazy it drives me crazy verse 13 for such are false prophets deceitful workers transforming themselves into apostles of Christ and no wonder for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light today the devil introduces false teaching by using men and women who appear to be sent by God but who are not and therefore you must be discerning and search out the word for yourself otherwise you may end up like those described in 2nd Timothy 2 25 and 26 where Paul says, in humility correct those who are in opposition if God perhaps will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth and that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil having been taken captive by him to do his will. The people described are those who have embraced false teaching, spiritually speaking they have become prisoners of war having been taken captive by the devil to do his will. I've unfortunately seen a few folks over the years embrace some crazy wind of doctrine, where there was once a robust evangelical faith in Jesus. There is now an obsession with one particular doctrine, leading to a life of either extreme legalism or extreme license. And and depending on what all they want to talk about is this one thing that they think that they've discovered, that is. Um, it, that is not jesus uh and and it's sad to me it just you know because it 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 takes them it, they actually are prisoners of war they're out of the, the you know the fight and and trying to create uh dissent among christians and so we notice that they can return to the truth and we should struggle to bring them back to it uh and, and so uh obviously false teaching discernment um, i know some of the discernment ministries out there I, in my opinion would go too far in some of their criticisms um, you know they they're dealing with secondary issues and things that not all Christians agree with We're talking about issues of the orthodox faith things that all Christians must believe in but uh, believe me there'll be false teachers until we see the lord persecutions another way that satan tries to assault us writing to the thessalonians paul said in first thessalonians 3 4 and 5 He says for in fact we told you before when we were with you that we would suffer tribulation just as has happened to you and you know. For this reason when I could no longer endure it I sent to know your faith lest by some means the tempter had tempted you and our labor might be in vain. The tempter here is the devil and he was enticing the believers into abandoning their faith because of the persecution it brought upon them. This reminds us that Satan is a bully. And while he will never abandon his behind-the-scenes subtle scheming, sometimes he just punches you in the face with persecution. Sometimes it's just very obvious that what's happening is a frontal assault of persecution against you, uh, and and there's nothing subtle about it. List of qualifications for overseers in 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 7, includes two references to the devil. Uh, Verse 6 and 7, not a novice, First Timothy 3.6, not a novice lest being puffed up with pride he fall into the same condemnation as the devil. Moreover he must have a good testimony among those who are outside lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. And so here we learn not to promote people to a position of leadership too quickly or it could lead to pride which was the downfall of the devil. Furthermore leaders would seem to be a preferred target for Satan. Who sets snares for them that they might lose their integrity and fall into reproach. Uh, And so on the front end, you know, when you're picking leaders, you need to be careful that you don't thrust somebody forward and set them up for a fall. But at the other end too, we need to finish well as leaders remembering that the devil is coming after us especially not because we're more spiritual, but because we would affect more people uh, and, and, you know. And you know this. I mean, how many solid Christians um, in Calvary, out of Calvary, over the last even 10 years can, can most of us name that had fallen, you know, into sin? Uh, you know, one of the pastors was saying at, at our pastor's retreat this last time, uh, it took three minutes to destroy 30 years of ministry basically and so there are snares out there for leaders and so paul recognizes that the devil is is working with novice believers who are being thrust into leadership and with old crusty leaders uh, who are not taking things seriously paul's other references to the devil as our adversary involve certain sexual sins or at least the possibility of falling into them as traps back in 1 corinthians 7 5 you read Do not deprive one another except with consent for a time that you may give yourselves to fasting and prayer and come together again so that Satan does not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Now what this is about, in Corinth certain married couples thought it was more spiritual to refrain from their regular sexual relations to devote themselves instead to prayer. Paul says that's okay as long as it's by mutual consent, that it's for a limited time and for the express purposes of prayer. In other words, it's not more spiritual or more holy to abstain from sex Uh, and in fact it can be dangerous because it leads to certain temptations. And he says you must return to your regular marital sexual relationship or else it exposes you or your spouse to temptation. Now hold that thought and go to 1 Timothy 5 where we read in verse 11 Refuse the younger widows, for when they have begun to grow wanton against Christ, they desire to marry. And then drop down to verse 14, Therefore I desire that the younger widows marry, bear children, manage the house, give no opportunity to the adversary to speak reproachfully, for some have already turned aside after Satan. It seems that the younger widows were holding off marrying, causing them to become wanton because they were succumbing to sexual temptation. These scriptures about sexual sin are a general but serious warning that sex is one area in which the devil will certainly assault every believer, single, married, or widowed. It would seem from our society today it is a favorite area of attack. Uh, All you have to do is is think about it for five minutes and you'll see uh, how the devil has pervaded everything with this talk of illicit sex. I read an article the other day. Thought it was slightly sensational, but it was warning that the church is going to come under assault from powerful uh, gay and lesbian activism. The author described institutions that have given up to the idea or have been forced to that homosexuality is not sin but is in fact normal. Started with an assault on the American uh, Psychiatric Association, and its latest conquest uh, has been the Boy Scouts. And so systematically. You can see how this lobby has gone against different uh, institutions uh, to either change their mind or to wreck them. And even though the church has been fighting this for some time, uh, they haven't really assaulted the church yet, uh, other than churches that have changed their stance. I'm not talking about just changing their mind. This article is saying there's going to be a a real assault against evangelical Bible-believing churches uh in this area whether that's true or not uh it seems like it would be something that the devil would do now Jesus unequivocally condemned all sexual sin including homosexuality when he affirmed the one flesh pattern of Genesis and uh, that pattern for marriage we talked about this in Matthew 19 we would distinguish between same sex attraction and homosexual behavior same sex attraction is misplaced desires for the same sex that need to be given over to God. It's not sin, it is temptation to sin, and therefore it can and must be resisted. Sex outside of marriage is sin, whether it's a man and a woman, or two men or two women, period. That's just the way it is. Marriage is to be monogamous between one man and one woman. And so that's, those things just can't change. I mean, they're, they're just, either God said those things and he meant them or he didn't, and so the, the authority of Scripture, the inerrancy of Scripture, all of that uh, is up for grabs there, and there's this um, singer I've never heard of that's in the news right now, this female uh, Christian singer who's come out of the closet, says she's gay, and that God loves her just the way she is, and it's, I think she's Australian, um, but uh, it's all over Facebook. If you're on Facebook, it's all you read about all, all the time. But um, and and so uh, you know this is this is going to be happening more and more, and so we just need to be ready for it. And, and you know, I, on on the one hand you know homosexuality is sin, adultery is sin, fornication is sin. Um, people who are stru- the the idea here is that people say, well, I'm not struggling with same sex attraction. God made me that way. Well, I don't even want to argue with you anymore about whether you're that way genetically or how you got that way. Um, God says to act on those impulses is sin. The same way it would be sin for me to act on an impulse to sleep with another man's wife or for a wife to sleep with a, 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 you know, someone else outside of her marriage. It's all sin. We can't start redefining what sin is or we're going to be starting to call evil good and good evil. Uh, but we're going to be a, a really tiny minority here pretty soon, uh, and it'll be interesting to see uh, how we handle that now in general our society is easily the most pornographic ever simply because of the technologies that exist and are in our possession a few years ago people could say well there's always been pornography you know and, and i remember don mcclure used to point out that some of the great art you know you know hey look at this great art and he says yeah that's pornography it, it, it's essentially a nude woman you know yeah but this famous artist painted it okay a famous photographer took this picture so what's the difference you know it may be great art but it's still pornography so there's always been pornography but you can't tell me that there's ever been a time like ours where every one of you in three seconds could access pornographic material on your cell phone right now and so can your kids and so do most kids Uh, and so it's it's an avalanche it's a tidal wave it's a tsunami of pornography That is seeking to undermine our society and so we need to uh, we need to recommit to purity and to the pursuit of holiness and um, we need to take a really big step back away from uh, some things perhaps then in each of our lives we've grown a little bit desensitized to Um, used to be do you remember if you're old enough do you remember when you used to say oh it's on television so it's okay do you remember that. Yeah, you couldn't see that movie, but now it's on TV, and so it's only 10 minutes long. It was a 90-minute movie, but now it's only 10 minutes long. It's okay. It's been edited out, you know. Uh, That's not true anymore. Things on television are worse than I used to see in the movies, you know. Uh, I I mean, it's pornographic, you know. And, And so we're just in trouble as a society when it comes to that. But we as Christians can take the high ground. So those are most of the references the Apostle Paul makes directly about the devil and his strategies against Christians in the church, things that we should be aware of. This is the fight that's going on in the ring. This is where he's trying to blind us and beat us and take advantage of us. Or if we want to use the military imagery of Ephesians 6, this is… somebody 's in a chat room right now doesn 't matter no I just but anyway uh, this is this is where he says the fight it, this is how the devil 's going to bring the fight to you next time we 're together we 'll look at uh, how the devil, he says, broke up the road, blew up the bridge, essentially, while he was trying to get back to, First Thes- or for, to Thessaloniki. He says, I was trying to get there, but it's like the bridge over the river Kwai. He blew it up. And We'll talk about what that means, and then we'll talk about Paul's famous thorn in the flesh, which he said, hey, this is the messenger of Satan sent to buffet me, uh, and we'll see those direct attacks. But knowing how the devil has attacked in the past in the New Testament, gives us a heads up we need to recognize his schemes and to be ready for his flaming arrows. Amen?